You know that ringing in your ears? That ee? That's the sound of the ear cells dying, like their swan song. Once it's gone, you'll never hear that frequency again. Enjoy it while it lasts. All clear. The upper school drill is over. Returning to normal activities. Close to that mic. Oh dear God. I kind of want to be a little dark. Fucking, can you repeat the question? Wow, good question. Now you got me kind of nervous. Well, don't look at it. Don't think about it. You're thinking about it. Am I allowed to swear in this? Yeah. Okay. And then you're oddly qualified to answer some of this. Is this too close? Is this good? That's perfect. All right. No hurry, please. There's no hurry. And we're back. Number eight of the thing. This time we're going to talk about uh, playing live shows, and then we're gonna we got one more on music, and then we're going to move on to other other stuff. So yeah, Um, take it away, Joel. One of the one of the great uh, indulgences of being a musician, even on our you know, or uh, everybody that I talk to for this podcast, like on our little modest corner of quote unquote fame, if you will, mm-hmm. you could get if you can get people in the room, yeah, you're halfway there. Yeah, you know? right, right. That in and of itself is an accomplishment. If you don't I, know those people, then you're really on. If your you way. don't know the crowd, <laughs> that's and, and the you're best. In your hometown, and you don't know the crowd, then you're doing yeah, you're doing right. Mm-hmm. that's funny I've, ta- I've I've always i always appreciated the shows where we had like three people on the guest list because nobody we knew was coming right you know yep, it's like yep. okay we, this is a real crowd but at any rate one of the great indulgences we get is that we get to play live and everybody that's i've talked to every we all want the same thing here it's that you know it's the lot playing the live show is Mm-hmm. You know, I ain't got to tell you. Know, you. Yeah. Do you have a particular moment? And again, you've been doing this forever. Do you have a particular show? And I'm not just talking about the Mules or whatever. Of all the bands you've been in, where you're like, that's a memory that I'm gonna have the rest of my life. Like playing that show. I mean, I know that there's a lot of them, but if there's one, is there one moment that kind of like stands out as like, holy shit? Um. Uh. <laughs> You know, we've had plenty of, we've got to play with plenty of people, um, you know, that that brought the people in, you know, so, you know, Lucero, Fu Manchu. So we've had, it it, it wasn't ever so much about crowds. I think two places in particular, the first one would be the Mustache Fest. Um, The first time you actually went to another town that you didn't know anybody and they were singing the songs. You know, I think that was the first taste of where you're like, you know, like, what the hell? You know, because I, I I wasn't hearing a lot from the monitor. I was hearing my voice, but then there were so many other more. And you're looking out and, and there's people pointing and yelling the words to pilot light. You know, that was one where I was like, wow, I didn't know that, you know. And so that was the first time away from home where you don't know anybody. And they were that was a fun show. And I think any time we ever played the 331 as much of a cluster as it would be it just that always felt so you know you got maybe you know uh, a, a five six beer buzz going for yourself beforehand everybody's packed up close 
there's wires and cables and and sweat and it's a mess and everybody's just in your face and it's loud and it's those are those moments when you just you almost like you feel like you've just you you know you've um you've just let go you're just like boom whatever happens i mean you i can shut my eyes and nobody's there and whatever you're singing about you open your eyes and the sweat is stinging them uh but you smile and you you grab your beer and you do some more there's some banter there but i i think that um i would say that that mustache fest and, and any show at the 331 in the end there um they they got to be those were memorable fun fun times fun kind of rowdy everybody on the same page not just band but band and audience you know um at that point everybody kind of knew who we were and what was going on and that was a fun small place to you know pack a lot of people into and and kind of have a party with so what about playing live like one of the big would you know i was explaining to somebody that if this was an hourly job we're all making about negative a dollar an hour probably if we're lucky um but we get to do things that most people don't get to do. Well, normally, not this year. And that's play live. Uh, do you have like a particular show moment experience getting to play live that just stands out where you're like, God damn, being born was worth it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, def- I mean, I've got, I've got ones, I'm sure, just like you, that are close to my heart that are the smaller shows that um, had that really good kinetic Minneapolis energy um but probably the 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 thing that really was like okay this is this is awesome and I never planned on this was um a communist daughter uh, did a a couple of tours opening for Jason Isbell and the last round we had done was um these gorgeous opera houses and so um standing on those stages um during sound check just looking out at all these I mean, fancy places with really just gorgeous, ornate um, decorations and just so huge. Um, You know, standing on the stage, looking around and seeing that before the crowd got there really made me feel like, okay, if I, if I never did this again, um, this is something uh, I never thought I would ever, ever be able to do. And, and something also that my parents just never thought it was like a real viable thing. And, uh, I, they didn't get to see those shows, but they got to see pictures of them, and they were like, "Wow!" And so, um, some of those theaters opening up for Isabel were really awe-inspiring for sure. That's incredible. Just out of curiosity, how do those rooms sound, dude? They're they're freaky. Um, I remember, um, you know, when we were doing sound check and hearing the slap back from, you know, you hit your kick drum and it would then travel mm-hmm. and hit the back wall and then come back to you. And I said to somebody like, "How many?" seats are in this theater and they were like oh it's like five thousand six thousand or something like that and i was like jesus and um they're they're terrible <laughs> they're, i've, I've you know, kind of heard that yeah you really you you need um you need monitors you need in-ears uh we uh have communist daughter in particular have always uh to our folly been like eh we'll throw throw our gear up we'll figure it out it's fine um and you know we did always make it work but man i got really locked in and glued to my monitor um i would just be like just please give me bass drum 
uh, I mean, just a, a bass guitar. And I, I need bass guitar and I need Johnny's vocals and Johnny's guitar at the very least. Otherwise, I'm going to be just lost in a mm-hmm. big soup of, of noise. Uh, but yeah, they're 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 tough if you're actually trying to listen from the stage. Uh, even like first half, I mean, I think it's kind of like a thing that artists talk about amongst themselves, but they don't talk about to like just fans or people that go to shows. That that stage is actually notoriously like pretty rough from sound from the stage um so you got to definitely find your sweet spot with monitors and things like that make sure you're not blasting too loud so especially as a drummer i'm not making everyone just cover their ears in pain because i'm hitting my drums so hard sure oh the entry i mean i think the entry is undeniable that's the best room in the world for playing on stage i've never played on a stage that's as hey shut up bro that's as nice as that um see did you ever yeah you guys had to have done t-rock oh yeah we played there a bunch of times that place is pretty cool yeah. too I, oh man I, I mean the sound wasn't always the best but the feeling on the t-rock yeah. stage was mm-hmm. was just amazing yep and the turf club and it was like the uptown bar oh yeah no worries hey sarah he's got something stuck in his throat He's got something stuck in his throat. Oh, I got it. That's his move when he, he'll chew on paper like he was over here and then he'll get it stuck in his throat and then he'll sit there and bark at me until I reach my finger into his mouth and pull out whatever it is that he's got. So, it's, it's like, over. oh man, dad, please help me. I've done it again. It's, <laughs> normally what he does is, cause I'm, I'm a high school teacher and so this is where I, I'm in here all the time. As, oh, sure. He sleeps all day. And then as soon as I get on Zoom with the classroom full of kids, he starts spinning around in a circle up there and barking and chasing his tail. It's crazy. But uh, oh, all right. So funny. of all the stuff that you've done with music, is there like one thing that you're particularly proud of that maybe you didn't mention yet? Like I got to do this or I got to do that or just one thing overall that you're like, you know, things you can show your parents that they'll understand if that makes sense or. Yeah, I, I definitely think the, the thing with, uh, you know, employers or parents or, uh, anybody that's that's not really uh next level into music um if you say you know um Grey's Anatomy uh that 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 really helps uh people go oh you've, you've done all right um so yeah that we've had things on um NBC the blacklist just had some stuff of ours um you, Japanese soap operas like all this stuff that it's hard to keep track of that um has uh, used a song of, of ours, uh, in particular, Communist Daughter, I'd say those those things are, are pretty easy to earmark as, like, holy smokes. Um, you know, I, I was in uh, A Whisper in the Noise for, for a minute, and that was a really fantastic band I was a huge fan of before I was ever a member of. And um, I wasn't a part of the group during this period, but um, explaining to, like, my parents that they, like, they did a cover of Bob Dylan's uh, Times They Are a Change in, and it was like playing during the credits of uh, an M. Night Shyamalan movie where I was just like, yeah, that was a band I was in. I know those guys. I was in that band. Um, stuff like that. That's cool. Just pop culture references. Pretty easy to, to say. Man, I'd have to think about it. There's, there's a few. Um, probably, you know, there's a couple that come to mind. Um, 
one that one that stands out to me and there there weren't even that many people there but it was just it was my first experience of like actually playing or opening for an act that had some national um appeal was when we had the chance to open for weed eater at the nomad um and we actually ironically had like two shows booked that night and this was the first time jeff jeff had set the show up and uh you know because he he made connections with weed eater and uh we you know we had already booked a show with um i think it was the the deaf do you remember that band yeah so we had we'd already agreed to play a show at big v's with the deaf and then jeff found out about this opportunity to open for weed eater and we and we decided well we can do both you know the weed eater show we'll play first and then we'll leave and we'll run, run over to big v's and play the second show and uh you know, got to meet Dixie Dave the first time. I met him a few times since, but it was it was just a really cool show plan opening for those guys. And in hindsight, we should have never played the show at the Deaf because um, I think we ended up headlining that one. We found out after the fact that despite all the hype about that band, they had no draw, um, so they couldn't bring a crowd themselves, you know, to 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 help us out. So we ended up playing to them. They played to us. We played to them. We missed the opportunity to hang out and party with Weed Eater, you know, after uh, after hours at the Nomad, and uh, it just kind of uh, you know kind of is one of those things you wish you would have done differently. <laughs> yeah, I, I get the the feeling that I get playing. It, it just it's um, I mean it, it's why I do what I. It's why I've done it for so long. It is it is an escape from everything. Um, you're, you're not, you know, nothing else matters at that, at that point. Um, so I cherish those moments. I cherish everything that music's had like to offer, you know, it's, uh, I don't take it for granted. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's obviously been times where I've been like on stage or and like, holy shit, how did I, how did the hell did I get here? Um, you know, for example, my, my first time uh, playing overseas um, was in the was in the Netherlands, and um, we uh, the band I was playing with, uh, Sourvein at the time, was asked to headline Roadburn Festival, and that it was it was it was sold out, you know, and we were headlining that show, and that was the biggest venue I've ever played in my life, and. Um, it was it was so <laughs> it was just mind blowing um to tell you the truth i mean but i've also experienced that um in um shitty clubs you know um so like i said it's i can't i can't pinpoint like a, a specific time that i've been like wow cuz it happens to me a lot you know what i mean just like if i could <laughs> If I can have like even a local show with a hundred people in the door, you know, I'm, 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 you know, tickled, you know, like, it's like, it's like, I've made it, you know, like, it's all worth it, you know, like all the bullshit is totally worth it, you know? I mean, the, the biggest thing that the pandemic has taught me is that I didn't really take any of it for granted. Like I, I, every day I got to be on a stage, I was super excited to be there and, uh, a lot of musicians I know don't go see other music, which I think that's, you know, everybody find your own fuel and stuff. But for me, watching shows is, is how I get to 
you know, fill my tank up. And so if I wasn't playing shows, I was watching shows. And so like, I just, I never took any of that for granted. And so like, I really miss all of it right now, but like, I, I don't think I can sit on my, you know, in, in my sorrows and be like, oh man, I really took that for granted. It's like, no dude, you were pretty present in all of it. And like you, I understood the, the weight and the significance of playing and uh, watching people perform uh, in those moments. Uh, if there's a specific moment, um, you know, we played, I mean, there's, I, I feel like I could just do a, a year long podcast on my favorite moments from stage, but to like pick one out of, out of the, out of the hat. And, you know, it's great. Cause like, I feel like with, even when you talked about the songs, you know, like I was like, well, one song can be on the peak, you know, for a while, you know, like that's the top dog and, you know, somebody's down at base camp and they come up and they reach the peak. I mean, with live music moments, like the top of that mountain is, is the, is very expanse like all there's so many shows that get to sit up there and high five each other but um one year we played with the duluth symphony orchestra and charlie parr um over the fourth of july at bayfront which is the big park there as you pull in on 35 in duluth and i remember it wasn't necessarily my performance we played uh in the late afternoon but we were just laying in the back uh stage area outside of the tents drinking growlers from local breweries and watching fireworks as a live symphony played right behind us. That was pretty cool. Like that's, that's one of those moments that I would have never even expected that would have happened. I, I didn't foresee that. I played saxophone and band in fifth and sixth grade. And from then on, so I could, I never thought of myself as an orchestra kid, but then there I was drinking beer and watching fireworks and listening to a live string section. It was really cool. There, there's a few of them. I mean, there you know, without too much of the backstories, like um, there was the first show I played in Japan with attention and we went over there not knowing at all what it was going to be like or anything about it. And like going out and playing that first show and like the, the, the way that that all went down was like, I mean, I was like two minutes in, I was like, holy shit, I'm in Japan and I'm playing a sold out show in like a cool club. Like how the fuck did this happen? And then the other the other thing would probably be um, Two Harbors open for Temples in the main room a few years ago. It was originally supposed to be a tour club show. Temples was really hot at that time and it, it sold out too quick. So they moved it to the main room and it sold out in the main room. Um, I, I, maybe it didn't completely achieve sell, but it was pretty close. But that was... Um, that was a show like where the, we really put the work in before the show and we were really like, we really wanted to do well. And, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes like you, you get those shows and you get too like, you get too excited about it and you build it up too much. And then it's a disappointment. And maybe you kind of come out flat because you've overprepared. Um, and there's those shows that you don't try very hard. And all of a sudden you, the show goes off awesomely. This was kind of like right in the center. Like we really tried and we came out and we played a really great show that night and it was super fun. And, you know, to top it off, like temples were great guys and they were super psyched to be playing in the main room. I would probably, I mean, this is like, this is very stereotypical too, but I would say my senior recital of undergrad because it was like, you know, all those years of all that work. And then it's like an hour long recital and it's just this huge accomplishment and there's like everybody that you care about is there and um it's just kind of amazing but so i would say that as a performance thing 
Otherwise, I would say, uh, in the other end of things, conducting like a like a concert where um, the uh, you've had like a full like usually the spring concert for for like band or orchestra or whatever is always really amazing because you've spent the whole year with those kids and then they're always really excited about that concert because it's the movie concert. Oh, there's there's multiple times. There was the first one that comes to mind was Houston playing at the uh, the Empty Bottle in Chicago. I forget. I think we were the headlining band, but we had absolutely the best show we've ever played in our life, and we fucking killed. And it was butts to nuts in that place the whole fucking time, and sold out room, killed it. I I loved that night and it was super fun and if you know it's like you there's a weird thing where you hang out with two other people and you go go on the road and, and play <laughs> and some nights suck and most often you hate each other but that night it was like the best sex ever and it was really really fun the second one that comes to mind was uh, Monroe, Louisiana, where we had a huge following there because one dude in that town discovered us and basically made CD copies of all of our records and distributed them to all of his friends. So we went to play there and we opened for Shiner. Shiner was the headliner, and as they should be because they're amazing. But everyone was there to see us. And that was really cool because that hadn't happened all tour. And Shiner kind of recognized that. And we got paid a butt ton more money than Shiner did. And then we went back to our hotel room after that. And with all these piles of cash, we jumped around the bed in these piles of cash like little kids. It was ridiculous. I think that, well, there were a lot of those. But I think that there's... When it came to rock and roll for me, especially in my time in New York, there was never anything like, you know how people say, you know, they had a lot more fun trying to make it than they did making it? Well, I never really made it, but I uh, I came really fucking close a lot of the time, and I always felt like I was on a trajectory going up. And I think it was the first time I headlined the Bowery Ballroom and we had somehow we had packed 800 people into that audience. This is probably around 2000 and 2007, something like that, 2006, 2007. And I just love that room, you know? It's an old, you know, Bowery Ball, it's an old, old ballroom, you know, that's probably been there for 200 years. And I remember staring at the ceiling in the middle of a twirl or something and uh, I remember thinking you know just being here right now is is fantastic and again but being here is gonna take me somewhere even better you know so there was that on um, right around the same time or a couple months after that we um opened up for the reformed version of the New York Dolls at Irving Plaza and I remember having something similar similar happen <laughs> there you know and uh, I mean I could go on and on and on 
with all that, it was, I lived for those moments, you know, because you sacrificed everything. Well, I mean, other people would say that you sacrificed everything to play music, but to me, it wasn't really much of a sacrifice because it was fucking great. There's no sacrifice at all, man. No trouble at all, my friend. It was a privilege and a pleasure, and and uh, it was so much fun, and I always hoped that, you know, as a drummer and whatever, that I brought a lot of, you know, that unbridled enthusiasm to the music and to the show and everything else. You know, it's just, you know, once I moved into being a vocalist and a singer, it's a little bit of a darker attitude, maybe, but it's always, it's all fun no matter what, you know, and, and um, if you do a good job, you're going to have a hell of an after party afterward, and let's hope you're not working tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, so um, round 13 was record collective that uh that jay and i came came up with and basically what we we're trying to do is it wasn't really a label but it was a a, a mind a mindset more than anything of bands that kind of all thought the same trying to accomplish uh, something locally um and wanted to work with each other and kind of pr you know promote each other and help each other with shows and things like that so i guess we call it more of a collective than anything uh, rather than a label you know we were we weren't certainly um you know, bankrolling anybody to put albums out, but we did help for a while there. We were helping sell records. We had an online presence and things like things like that. And we got we got stuff set up with online distribution and, and streaming and stuff like that in those early days. But then this this showcase we put together was kind of a culmination of all of that, where we came up with this idea. Uh, me and Jay and and uh, Nate Pishke from Twenty Dollar Love came up with this idea to do this showcase where over two nights we'd have every band that was kind of on the lay the round 13 label um would play uh you know play a show at uh at club underground and part of it was the idea was to raise enough money to put out um to put out a uh, a compilation disc um that had studio tracks from each of the bands on the on the label and live tracks that were recorded at the uh at the uh, showcase so we had a guy lined up, Adam Tucker, who has now gone on to do a lot of really cool things, but he was a good friend of ours. And he brought a kind of a mobile recording studio in there and set it up and recorded uh, every band, every set. And uh, we were able to go through, each band was able to go through and identify what live track they wanted to feature on this uh, on this record. And we ended up with a, uh, you know, a double, a double CD, uh, technically, I think it was, uh, with, with live tracks and, uh, and uh, um, uh, studio, so pretty cool. Um, not really, because you know I'm not like you. I haven't like performed entire concerts where you can actually get comfortable and and uh, sort of start enjoying the experience. For me, it's usually just a couple of songs, and it's just terror, you know, leading up to performing. And then while I'm performing, it's just trying to hold it together. And so the, the 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 good feeling comes only afterwards when I've managed to do it without making a fool of myself. <laughs> yeah, there was one show in particular. We played Twenty Dollar Love played in uh, played South by Southwest in two thousand nine, I think, and it was with Droids Attack, uh, Blood Cow, and Imperial Battlesnake, and us four bands kind of like toured down there together right so we were in a van with blood cow 
it's 10 guys in a van with a fucking trailer and droids and Battlesnake were in another van. And we kind of like, we kind of like crossed paths on the way down there. And like, since Blood Cow and, and us were like kind of slackers, we had like a number of days off and like droids and Battlesnake were playing fucking two or three shows a day sometimes. Anyhow, we got down there. We met in Dallas, Texas, and we played with Valiant Thor. And it was a fucking really fun all-ages show. But the next day, I believe, we we played in, in Austin. And it was South by Southwest, and we played at a club called Headhunters. And it was a Crustacean Records slash Round 13 Records afternoon showcase. And it was I think it was like 1.30 in the afternoon... $20 love we got to headline because we all like were rotating headliners for every show you know because it was four out of town band anyhow the crowd was very tiny except it was all the bros uh there uh, no stage and uh we were fucking Billy Milano was there from yeah from uh S.O.D. yeah he was like he worked at this he worked at Headhunters and he had it was his day off and he was just there and like he loved all the bands and like we had a really fucking fun daytime show that show for sure it was so fun everybody was like just getting crazy and like you know how it is when you play a show on the with no stage it's very it's really exciting you can get up in somebody's face and like you know it's all your buddies that are there it was a that was a really excellent excellent show I did not have any sort of high goals so i would say you know um just as a kid i in north dakota being a big prince fan playing first avenue was i was the thing and uh i've managed to do it now like seven or eight times and including the the gear daddy sold out thing um so i would say that's probably the top of the heap because that's something that was one of those things as a kid where i always just even wanted to be in that building just to see it so let alone to be standing there having the screen come up and all oh i just got goosebumps yeah yeah yeah. that was the thing the first time i went there was i was just talking about this with do you know gabe from four on the floor yeah yeah everybody fucking good guy oh yeah 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 yeah. every yeah Uh, i was in illinois and the the bartender (laughs) right that what doesn't surprise everybody likes him he's just a likable guy in fact he goes give him this horn he drinks out of this he forgot it here oh i know (laughs) the the horn you're talking about yeah yeah so not only did he know him but he asked if we would return it (laughs) you're going back up to minnesota (laughs) that's awesome but I, i was talking to him about this the first show i saw at first avenue was i was in high school and it was pearl jam on the oh, first tour oh. holy shit I, I mean it was the legendary first avenue and i got to see that show there the, yeah. it was unbelievable and another thing that you reminded me of uh, nick is do you remember because this is one of the standout moments from playing the main room uh when they first turn your guitar up in the house pa <laughs> I remember, and I was in a like a kind of a, a hardcore metal-y type new, new metal band at the time, so it was all about big guitars. Yeah, and I remember thinking, I am a god yeah. during sound check. You know, when they turn that up through the house PA, and you're, oh, no room sounds like that. Maybe the entry. I've never heard a monitor sound like it. Not even the oh. entry. Some people will say the entry is the best sounding room, but I'm like that. Like you feel when you're on that stage, like it is impossible to mess up. Like, yeah, everything sounds so good. Everything is so clear. The vocal monitors are so great. Like, it literally feels like you can't fail. 
Yeah. Oh, it's is pretty rare feeling. Like I've never had a club necessarily where I felt like there's no way you can't play this well at this place, you know? There's a lot of them. Um, there, I mean, you could break it down into phases too, like different musical uh, periods you went through, like your first cover band, you know, the first, your very first show of all time. Um, and then when you were actually in your first band that was kind of good and and then you were in your band that was really good and then there's everything that came after that. Um, but I, I think it was, the first thing that came in my mind when you asked me that was was the, the Violent Femme show at Broadfest. And not because of like, um, I don't know. It was it was it was it wasn't amazing like for the musical re- it was amazing because of what happened before I even got on the stage as I'm walking from the back of the stage I, I don't even know the lead singer's name of the violent Femmes. I don't I don't know his name that's how unfamiliar I am with their catalog but I'm like dude I don't know the song what key is it in he's like it's in the key of life just go with it and that's what I was left with um so from a, me- a memory standpoint, like that's the, that's a memory that sticks out from like stage standpoint. Um, God, there were, uh, there, I mean, you could just say that whole period we were playing at Cause was pretty fantastic. We uh, sonically remodeled that room many a times and they were all like, Kind of all the shows we did there have been compressed in my mind into one gigantic show. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's just, yeah, it's just, they just, they just kind of rolled together. Yeah, well, they've just been, okay, I have different memories from different things at different shows that happened, but they were all just brutally fun. And, you know, from top to bottom, like, it's not just a, I guess now the more that I think about it, it's not just a show. It's like a, uh, it's it's a decade's worth of memories and experiences of something that'll never happen again. At least on that level, in that time, in that period of life. So. Well uh most proud of i mean i guess at the end of the day two things are super super awesome i make a living making music like i live pretty damn comfortably i wouldn't say i'm like a baller but i have like seven jobs um so i work my ass off but the fact that like i make music and get paid to do that is pretty rad um can't complain there and at the end of the day I'm also creating the next generation of musicians, um, which is, I mean, the philosophy of my life's work as a a music instructor. It's just like, I don't care if they turn into, like, I don't even care if they join choir in middle school, because I keep, I teach K-5, but um, I just want them to, like, think of music differently, and hopefully even as a listener of music, appreciate it more 
as an adult or an older kid than they would had they not had me as a teacher. So, I mean, I think those things are pretty rad. I mean, I get to actually, I mean, I teach those kids for seven years. And so I actually get to like help shape them as a human, which is super cool. And using one of like the things that comes so innately to humans, music, you know? So I would say that that would be my biggest, like, What do you think we learned today, Joel? Hmm. He's waving his hand kind of side to side, like maybe something, maybe nothing. Uh, Anyways, next time we're going to talk about funeral songs. You get to play, you get to pick the playlist at your, at your death. People will be all sad and shit and you can make them either happy. You get to, you get to DJ your own funeral if you, if you plan correctly. So, uh, yeah. Dispatches from the apocalypse back in short order. See ya.